Hello, I'm Sean Kane, and before we hear this week's podcast, we just wanted to point you in the direction of our sponsor, Squarespace. For more information on building beautiful websites, go to squarespace.com. The Guardian. That's like making love to someone before you've had coffee with them. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to The Guardian Books Podcast. I'm Sean Kane, The Guardian's Booksite Editor, and today I am joined by Marta Balsells, the Social and Community Editor for Culture, and Emily Moss, also known as the singer Emmy the Great. And we're here for one very special and particular reason. It is one million words, 1,000 pages long, and has 388 endnotes. It covers everything from addiction and family relationships to the insidious nature of entertainment and advertising, with Canadian terrorists and tennis to boot. The unmistakable voice to those who know him. Everybody is identical in their secret, unspoken belief that way deep down they are different from everyone else. Let's talk about The Incomparable Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. It's 20 years old this month and the three of us have just read it for the first time. Emmy, you are the reason why we are all gathered here today. Can you explain why you decided that on the 20th anniversary you were finally going to give Infinite Jest a go? I feel like I should apologise, but <laughs> I feel like I should say sorry to you guys. Um, Thank you. I I have had Infinite Jest. I've actually got three copies of Infinite Jest. I had one when I lived in England. When I moved to America, I bought one. And then when I moved in with my boyfriend, he had one. So we have three household copies. And... Um, I think towards the end of last year, something just popped into my head that I bet that there was an anniversary coming up soon. And that, because I, I, mean, I felt like I needed an excuse to read it because I kept saying to people, well, let's read it together and we'd make it about 10 pages in. And then we get distracted by a whole season of Lost or something. Um, so I Googled the birthday and it was, 1st February this year was 20 years since it was published. And... I realized that that was a decent amount of time for me to actually have a go. And I think this was October. And I really thought that those three months or so would be, you know, like a cakewalk. <laughs> I was surprised by how tough it was. And why did you decide to make it a community effort? A lot of people do that, I think. I mean, over the years, I have jokingly made little notes about my progress in Infinite Jest. I mean, after I got to page 90 with my boyfriend a couple of years ago, I wrote a blog saying, hey, everyone, I've made it to page 90. And people would write back to me saying, you know, lots of people do this. There are blogs and blogs and blogs with people's experiences of trying to read this book. And often they get together in groups. And I think it's just one of these things. It's like a marathon. It's like a like a 10K run or, or climbing a mountain. You want to do it with other people because um, it's helpful to have people to check in with. And so you made a Facebook group and we all joined it and we all bought our copies and we all started reading. Marta, what inspired you to, to join the group? I had also kind of always thought I would eventually read it and I joined groups that were going to read it, but um, for one reason or another, it never ended up happening and I hadn't even bought a copy yet. And I just thought when Emmy talked about this, I thought, I had to force myself or it would never happen. However, I did buy my copy. And I remember reading the um, uh, foreword by Dave Eggers where he said exactly the same as everyone who's read it always said to me, which is, 
it's brilliant. It's the best thing I've ever done, but it's horribly um, hard to read. So I just, I remember reading that and then I waited another month to actually start the book. And I kind of joined the project half-heartedly, I think. And then I started reading a few, a few weeks after you guys. And I think I'm here to represent all the people who still haven't finished Infinite Jest um, <laughs> and who will take probably two years to finish it um, because I'm now about a third of the way in and I'm reading it at a much slower pace. But I have made the commitment of not skipping a footnote, not skipping anything and reading it very slowly. And when I saw I couldn't meet the deadline at all, I just decided to kind of take my time. And I still want to finish it, but we'll see how that goes. I think that's good, though. Like, I, I wish that I didn't have a deadline because I, I wouldn't have finished it if I didn't have to write for you guys that piece that I had committed to. Because, I, I, you know, I was really casual up until about January. Then I looked at where I was and was like, oh, my God, I've got to do 70 pages a day now. And it was so tough. And I didn't like I didn't catch up with my footnotes, partly because my copy was dislocated. You know, I had cut it up. So sometimes I'd be out and I would miss a whole chunk of footnotes and I wouldn't catch up with them later. And I'd be like, oh, I'll do it at the very end. And I think when I start again now, I'll do it exactly how you're doing it, Marta, and be really painstaking and really enjoy it and really digest it instead of trying to speed read something that is absolutely not made for speed reading. I think that's that's absolutely right. I think that it's worthwhile us sort of stating our different approaches to this because, Emmy, you cut yours up into thirds and so did Marta. Uh, Marta's been carrying around the first chunk of the book along with the last chunk of the book which contains the end notes <laughs> that's right and and opening them both at the same time in the tube which makes me look like a maniac <laughs> and I've been carrying around this huge brick of a novel I've got the whole thing in one big slab um and sort of have been resenting it in my backpack for the last six weeks or so oh, it's, it hurts your back it's actually really bad for your back <laughs> I agree but I suppose that that's sort of the thing that both me and you, I suppose, Emmy, have sort of sped read this because we set ourselves this sort of arbitrary deadline of the final week of February so we could get it in on the month. Um, whereas Marta, she might enjoy it the most out of all of us well, in the end. Or I might never I think finish she, it. Yeah, I, like there are parts like the Eschaton situation was I just really wished I had, you know, a few days to read that instead of trying to get it all done so that I could get to the next bit, so that I could get to the next bit. I mean, some of that stuff, it's its like such glorious writing that you kind of want to spend a lot of time with it. Well, I think it's worth us going into our first encounters with Infinite Jest because its fearsome reputation tends to precede it before anyone even starts it. Uh, Marta, Emmy, how did you first hear about it? I actually can't remember not knowing it exists I don't know when it when it happened, but I just know I went from it was a vague idea in my head, and then suddenly um, a friend of mine was doing a dissertation on it, and then through him I met someone else who was doing a PhD on David Foster Wallace and going to his archives in Texas and who knew all the details about his life and his letters and absolutely everything. So I don't know. I've always had this this idea that um, this book was this daunting, massive novel, but. Um, as opposed to you guys, I haven't read um, anything else by him. So I'm starting uh, with the hardest. I've read a couple of essays, but I haven't actually done what's usually advised, which is to start with his other works. So we'll see. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's How crazy. That's like, um, that's like making love to someone before you've had coffee with them. 
That's so poetic. Well, there you go. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, I actually, I've seen um, material from those archives in Austin. When some of his private letters were on display, and there's like a literary museum in Austin somewhere, and they had a David Foster Wallace exhibition, and they took some of the stuff out of the archives. And it, I thought about that stuff a lot while I was reading, because there's a couple of letters that he's written to Don DeLillo. Though I think, like, David Foster Wallace, to me, is like a master of his own style. There were moments where I was like, oh yeah, I can see that he really loved Don DeLillo, and and some of this writing must have stemmed from that admiration. Like the very lengthy descriptions of the um, movies and the artwork really reminds me of stuff. I haven't read a lot of Delilah, but it really reminded me a lot of the stuff that I had read. There was a letter in the archives of um, Wallace's first, when he first sent Infinite Jest out to publishers. But um, the way he describes it is so endearing as well. He's sort of like, oh, please have a look at this. It's you know, I think it's quite original. <laughs> and I think he had a really tough time trying to convince a publisher to let him have it in that form. Do you think it deserves its fearsome reputation? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like, it's really hard for me to have an objective opinion. You know, I haven't read a book since I finished it. I haven't Why? been able to. It, re- it has wiped me out. Just like the process, because I had left myself so little time. I was just so immersed in reading it. If I wasn't working, I was reading I got so deep into this world of this book, into these characters and how they connect to each other. And I just feel like I'm still there. The only judgment that I can give is that I just love it dearly. David Foster Wallace is renowned for his ability to craft unique dialogue. And you can hear it in this excerpt when we first hear Hal speak. I'm not just a boy who plays tennis. I have an intricate history, experiences and feelings. I'm complex. I read. I study and read. I bet I've read everything you've read. Don't think I haven't. I consume libraries. I wear out spines and ROM drives. I do things like get in a taxi and say, the library, and step on it. My instincts concerning syntax and mechanics are better than your own, I can tell, with due respect. But it transcends the mechanics. I'm not a machine. I feel and believe. I have opinions. Some of them are interesting. I could, if you'd let me, talk and talk. Let's talk about anything. I believe the influence of Kierkegaard on Camus is underestimated. I believe Dennis Gabor may very well have been the Antichrist. I believe Hobbes is just Rousseau in a dark mirror. I believe, with Hegel, that transcendence is absorption. I could interface you guys right under the table. I'm not just a creatist manufactured, conditioned, bred for a function. Please don't think I don't care. So, Marta, did you like Hal when he first came in? He's kind of the protagonist of the whole book and he has such a great introduction. Did you like him? I did, um, and I really liked the the opening of the book and how it creepily kind of introduces this character and you don't quite know what's going on, but you kind of... I definitely felt like I was completely on his side Um, and like he was surrounded by these weird people who didn't really understand him, but um, I didn't really know why until the very end of that opening segment. But um, yes, very much so. And Emmy, how did you feel about Hal? Because he's quite interesting in that you immediately know how he feels, but you slowly come to realise that everyone around him has no idea. I feel like Hal to me is like this silent little boy. I really feel like I've met 
boys like him like young intelligent very anxious like sort of deep little people who are going through something really serious and their family doesn't understand and no one understands and how about other characters oh the I, i mean i really liked the boys of the tennis academy i really liked their relationship together there was like this sort of like locker room banter somehow managing to have emotional relationships with each other without having any emotional conversations which I really enjoyed all through you know like physical abuse and verbal abuse the sharing of bodily fluids and drugs but yeah Hal to me is like he's sort of like this rock this pebble that you can't penetrate I feel let's look at the plot Infinite Jest is a very hard book to sum up which is part of the mystery but let's see if we can do it There are lots of seemingly unrelated narratives that do finally all come together. It's worth the effort, but you do have to put in the legwork. Okay, we have an overarching story about the missing master copy of a film called Infinite Jest. It is a film that is so monumentally entertaining to whoever watches it that they lose all interest in everything else and they eventually die. The film was made by a man called James O. Incandenza, and it was his final work before his suicide. The novel starts, however, with Incandenza's son Hal, and the very strange members of his family, all variously dealing with the unexpected death of James. Hal is a tennis prodigy, and he's trying to get a spot at a prestigious tennis academy, but he has some speech problems which are getting in the way. We are following his journey when BAM! Meanwhile, separatists from Quebec are interested in getting the master copy of Infinite Jest, so they can use it in a terrorist attack against the US. The lead actress in the film is in rehab for substance abuse, so one of the Quebec separatists infiltrates the centre to try and find out from her where the tape is. So the rehab centre becomes this place where everything ties together. How was that? (laughs) I hope that all comes in in under one minute. I like reading different people's summaries because you get like a tiny different angle that maybe you missed. Yeah, it's sort of that thing that I did read a few to sort of make sure that I was highlighting the right things because my mind sort of, I really liked the separatists yeah, sort of storyline, for That's example. the thing is like, actually, it's interesting to know what people prioritize as the main storyline. Like something that I find really odd is that well, I actually read the comments after the piece I wrote. Like I read every single comment because they were really illuminating. People really love this book and they've spent a lot of time with it. And some people found the stuff that goes on in the rehab center really boring and unnecessary. And to me, those were my favorite bits. Everything to do with Madame Psychosis and uh, Don Gately, they just came alive for me. Whereas the tennis school boys, like like I said, it was, to me, it was just like locker room, locker room, locker room. And except for Escheton, I really found that stuff to be... Um, a lot of stuff that I had to read about statistics and and layouts and floor plans and and things like that and also like very rarely do people mention Mario the relationship between Mario and Hal which that jumped out as my favorite thing in the book Mario what do you get when you cross an insomniac an unwilling agnostic and a dyslexic I give you get someone who stays up all night torturing himself mentally over the question of whether or not there's a dog. The the way that they love each other so unconditionally and they've both been let down a little bit by their families, even though the mother really tries, I think, or she appears to try, they're really all that they can rely on in the world. And I have my sister's got learning difficulties and I've never I've never had such a 
nice description of what it's like to have a child with learning difficulties in a family. The mother is such a sort of, she, she's an interesting character, but she sounds like a pretty bad mother at a lot of points. But in such and a wonderfully subtle way. I do love the, uh, the aspect between her and uh, John, no relation, Wayne, which is one of the creepiest sort of scenes where she makes him put on orange sports clothes before they have sex. That's everything that you've said. Like when you were summarizing, I was just laughing as well. Like it's just so funny the way he keeps like mentioning how tall she is. And then that suddenly becomes this grotesque feature <laughs> that she has. And you have no idea how he's just such a comedian. I think Zadie Smith called him a comedian. And really, I was laughing all the way through this book. That That's the funny thing, because I think I looked at the size of it and I looked at the fact it had footnotes and I immediately assumed it would be quite dry and almost academic because of the presence of the endnotes. But it, it's a really funny book. Oh my God, did, did you find that surprising, that it was as funny as it is? I've read some of his, I mean, I read his other stuff. He's like definitely got a tone which is so, it's familiar and it's conversational. It's definitely like the lightness I was expecting, but I wasn't expecting this book to be so laugh out loud funny. I mean, I was like on the sofa laughing out loud. Sometimes you'd get to a place with a footnote and you'd be like, oh, a footnote. And then you'd get to the end of the book, find the footnote, and it would just be such a gift. It's like Wallace is waiting there with a punchline or a clown outfit or like he's doing something silly at the back of the book and it was just for you and it was a treat. How about you, Martin? Have you found it funny so far? Yes, very much so. And uh, I have to say, I agree that the end notes are probably the best part. But I did read a nine page end note about uh, which was a list of films um, James had made, which, which took me about an hour to read. When I saw that footnote, Marta, I literally swore at him. <laughs> <laughs> this Guardian podcast is supported by Squarespace. If you want to build a website, you have many options. But if you want to build it beautiful, there's only one. Squarespace gives you the power of world-class design, so you can do more than create a website you can set yourself apart. See why some of the world's most influential people, brands, and businesses choose Squarespace. To start your free trial, visit squarespace.com forward slash guardian. I listened to a recent interview with David Foster Wallace's editor, Michael Peach, who summed Infinite Jest Up as a very funny novel about people who are in a lot of pain. It does cover depression and, and suicide, and we've come to Infinite just sort of 20 years late, so we are kind of reading it with different goggles on to someone who read it when it first came out in the 1990s, principally because David Foster Wallace was still alive then. It was very hard for me to read it, particularly certain passages, and not link it to him committing suicide in 2008. Emmy, did you have that knowledge sort of hanging over your head as you read it? Yeah, I mean, I've read his biography, and I've read so many of his essays and you know after a while you feel like you know an author so like his struggle his various addictions his breakdown in college all that was very much on my mind the stuff that his wife has come out with about how she's been trying to heal since he died all that stuff was just constantly on my mind and I really noticed how many people in the book are considering killing themselves 
Even there's a, this incredible tangent about the champion tennis player who wins by holding a gun to his head. Even that, to me, took on sort of like a different meaning because of what happened. Obviously, this the idea of eliminating your own map, as everybody puts it in the book, was like a major sticking point for him. Yeah. When I was looking into the fandom around Infinite Jest, I found a lot of people who said that their therapists recommended Infinite Jest and David Foster Wallace uh, generally to them because of his ability to put depression into words. Marta, there's a particular passage uh, on depression that really stood out for you. Would you mind reading it and yeah, sort of telling us why it stood out? Yeah, this is a passage where the character Kate Gompert um, is in hospital and is talking to a resident. Um, and she says she compares depression to feeling sick. I'm, I'm just going to read this short passage. Have you ever felt sick? I mean nauseous, like you knew you were going to throw up. Imagine if you felt that way all over inside, all through you, like every cell and every atom or brain cell or whatever was so nauseous it wanted to throw up, but it couldn't. And you felt that way all the time. And you're sure, you're positive, the feeling will never go away. You're going to spend the rest of your natural life feeling like this. I just thought it was so perceptive and sensitive to human nature and to emotion that I, I kind of struggled with these passages because, yeah, I couldn't help but wonder about him, whether it was autobiographical. Knowing, knowing what happened to him, it's kind of quite hard to read um, someone who has this insight into sort of this suffering. There's also this bit where he describes this feeling that um, that's sort of similar to depression but it's sort of more like a nothingness it's similar to ennui this um feeling that he describes people as having which is almost like it's almost worse than depression it's worse than distress it's sort of nothingness Hal, who's empty but not dumb theorizes privately that what passes for hip cynical transcendence of sentiment is really some kind of fear of being really human since to be really human at least as he conceptualizes it is probably to be unavoidably sentimental and naive and goo-prone and generally pathetic, is to be, in some basic interior way, forever infantile. Some sort of not-quite-right-looking infant dragging itself anaclytically around the map, with big wet eyes and froggy soft skin, huge skull, gooey drool. One of the really American things about Hal? Probably is the way he despises what it is he's really lonely for. This hideous internal self, incontinent of sentiment and need that pulses and writhes just under the hip-empty mask, Anadonia. A lot of people, and I'm going back to the comments again because they were really helpful for me to read after I wrote the piece, and someone wrote that when this book came out in the 90s, it was as if everything that this person was going through had been written in a novel. And I feel like when I read that passage um, about that feeling of, of nothingness, it really did remind me of like Generation X, slackerism, like grunge, all those emotions that are in between those things. It, like it really put those things in words. The feeling that that generation had, that they were sort of powerless and they were sort of comfortable, but they really didn't know what they wanted and they didn't feel anything. Yeah, a lot of infinite jest is to do with humanity's sort of never-ending pursuit of entertainment and our need to sort of constantly be stimulated. 
And David Foster Wallace built this world that contains this form of all-consuming entertainment based on television as he was writing this in the early 90s. But I felt when I was reading it that there was so much that could be applied now to social media and app alerts and our constant need to be engaged with something. It kind of feels like our attention spans are shot to hell and he kind of predicted that. Were there parts of Infinite Jest that rang particularly true for now to you? Well, I mean, I feel like we're not a million miles away from subsidised time. I was thinking about it and it's not that outlandish that at some point they would sell calendar years to corporations. To explain subsidised time, uh, David Foster Wallace has created a system in Infinite Jest where corporations can actually sponsor a year. So instead of it being 2016, say, it might be the year of the trial-sized Dove Bar and (laughs) all sorts. The year of the Depend Adult Undergarment, which is... uh, a lovely, lovely way of uh, sort of measuring time, which I suppose, like with corporate sponsorship now, it's not that far off, I suppose. <laughs> it is a very uh, radical example, but it was it's just one of those elements of humour in it that I just thought was, was so good. I think, did he mention Skype in the book? There's some kind of video calling where people are really embarrassed about how they look when they're video calling. And, right. and so these things have happened where at first people would just do the video call and then they got self-conscious and then they started doing makeup and stuff. And that, if that isn't now, reading it in our era, like we have, we probably didn't pick up on how much of this stuff was just prediction. We probably just thought, oh, this is life. Yeah. How about you, Marta? Were there bit parts so far that you've gone, oh, this this was written 20 years ago and he's he's predicted this? I did think that generally, even if the internet didn't exist as we know it and social media didn't really exist. Spiritually, he completely nails it. What you said about our attention spans are us checking constantly and devouring our friends' personal status updates and it it feels completely current, as you said. I love how he uses these, like the way that he colors in his world, the details that he puts in are so mundane, but that is how you build a world. You know, it's like concrete roads and and a road sign and and like a, a gloriously um, irrational system of parking, which means that people have to come out at midnight and move their cars to the other side of the road. Like all that stuff to me is just, of course, that is how you create your own book universe with thinking of all that stuff. But when you're reading it, you're like, really, really? I'm reading about this. <laughs> We've talked a lot about what we liked, but how about what we didn't like? I mean, it took you around about page 200, I think you said, to really start loving it. Why was that? It takes a minute to get into the start, like all those mundane details, like this committee approved this bit of planning permission and therefore they were able to build on this part of land. That is tough, although I now really appreciate it. And just like all the tennis descriptions, I know he loves tennis, I've read at least two essays of his about tennis and I knew what I was in for but once I got into that and once all the sort of settings were introduced I was able to get into the flow of the story or the story started flowing more I don't know which one. How about you Marta because you're at around about sort of 200 to 300 Mm -hmm. mark. I still very much feel like it's all being introduced and I'm finding it quite hard to actually combine it with a full-time job and a life yeah. to be honest it um, is it's like a, something you need to take time off work to do because work becomes like an affront to the mind yeah because there are all these roadblocks in it it's like 
he makes it extremely difficult and then rewards you for it. And you feel very kind of happy and satisfied afterwards. But while you're doing it, it's a genuine effort, at least for me. So it's like the pain of like focusing in so hard on stuff that you don't even notice in the real world, let alone when you sit down to, to enter like a fictional world. I mean, he's so fond of long sentences and, I mean, just the nature of how the book is laid out because it's so long and it's very intimidating looking. And I can totally see why people put it off. You said you had to apologise to us at the start and I have to say thank you for giving us a reason to really, you know, do it because I would have continued to put it off if you hadn't given us a reason. Yeah, I'm so glad I've read it. I really, I'm going to read it straight again, I think, as soon as the new edition comes out. Sorry. I wanted to ask if you guys thought it related to Hamlet. I wasn't sure if it's like an official thing or if it's something that people have noticed that is um, hinted at. Like he's the kind of writer who leaves Easter eggs in his books, you know, <laughs> you can um, keep finding. So can you explain, can you explain the connection that you've put between Infinite Jest and, and Hamlet? Well, a lot of people say that um, in the first chapter, where is it? Yeah, the second paragraph in the opening chapter of Infinite Jest says, I am in here. And that answers something in Hamlet a lot of people think a lot of people think Hal is Hamlet and you know there's the late father there's the mother who's like stuffing the uncle (laughs) there's that sense of young man's existential angst and there's a woman who is forsaken and when we first meet her tries to kill herself so I I can see the parallels that's fantastic I like it (laughs) I like that sort of easter egg idea and there's a ghost as well that's um, right that was my favorite bit you were going to read it again yeah definitely because I feel like I am in trying to read him to a deadline and and like on a schedule you know I would literally be like okay as soon as I finish rehearsal then I'm going to do two hours of reading then I'm going to eat then I'm going to do one hour of reading and it's not I want to like spend time with this book in in our own rhythm (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this book is my boyfriend now, so I just want to get to know it. <laughs> How about you, Marta? Are you going to keep reading? Yes, definitely. I'll keep you posted. <laughs> you said that you're probably going to do it at a slower pace and maybe yeah. finish it in a couple of years' time. Hopefully in less than that. I'm, I'm starting to get hooked, so for now, now I'll give it a go. I'll still do it. There's a short story in um, Girl with Curious Hair, yeah. which like, I have to find out which was written first, Infinite Jest or this short story. Because in the short story, they're all going, all these people are going to an event sponsored by a fast food company. And in Infinite Jest, people are prepping for the Whataburger tournament, like a, another fast food company sponsored tournament. It was nice to like read this and see threads and seams that I had known about before and thought that those were the main threads of his writing and then realizing that no they all came into this book and they all came together in this book hopefully this chat has spurred at least a couple of people on to try infinite just out for the first time do you have any tips for people who are thinking about picking it up um yeah i would give yourself a soft deadline do not try and speed read it um and i think like don't take it too seriously if you need to skip some footnotes or if you want to like even flick through the book and see where your characters are at when they reappear and then go back to where you were stuck. I think that would be fine. I don't think David Foster Wallace was trying to force us to go through experiences that we didn't want to. His whole thing was just trying to show what it was like to be human. How about you, Marta? Have you got any tips for anyone? 
I've got one that Emmy gave to me, which was, as we've discussed, cutting it in thirds. It's a bit drastic, but it definitely helps make it less daunting. I should say that that sawing in three, that was um, the writer Joe Dunthorne gave me that tip. He invented that. And it, it's a really good ritual to start your reading with because you really feel like, OK, this has begun. I have a kitchen knife and I am cutting my book up. And also <laughs> be careful of your fingers. Yes, that's good. Ending on a safety tip. So farewell to Infinite Jest, which has been a hell of an experience, but one I am glad to have had as I emerge bleary-eyed and tired from the other side. And farewell to you. If you are planning on reading Infinite Jest, I really recommend doing it together in a group. Perhaps we could do it as a reading group on the Guardian website and get through it together. Or maybe set up your own Facebook group like we did. It definitely helped us. And do tweet us at Guardian Books with how it's going. Thank you to Emily Moss, Marta Balsells and Troy Griggs for the readings. Claire Armitstead is back next week. From me and producer Susanna Tresillian, thank you for listening. Goodbye. And if we've persuaded you to try it, good luck. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com slash audio.